When we were without strength, he came. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it wonderful? Just so wonderful to be in his presence this morning. He's such a wonderful God. I'm just overwhelmed by him today. Hallelujah. Many people, if I put, ask you this morning, who wants revival? Who would put their hands up? Who wants revival? Well, Jesus did a little story in Luke 14. We're just going to start there. And then we're going to keep that in our minds. I'm just going to read it. Luke 14, 25. Hallelujah. Down to verse 30. He said, And there were great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come after me, come to me, and hate not his father, his mother, his wife, children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Wow. Now, obviously, when Jesus talks about hating your father and father, that's, that's, that's the, the, the they, they, were, they were very good at doing these things. I can't remember what the word is, but that's, they overstate the thing because Jesus talks about loving your mother and father. So it obviously doesn't mean to hate them, but in a sense that we're so full of love for him that any other love for other people looks like hate almost. He said, and he said also, he said, and whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it, lest haply after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold him begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. So we will, we'll put that in the back of our minds at the moment, because if we want revival, then we need to know what it's like. So what we're going to do is we're going to look and see how much it costs us to have revival, <laughs> if that's what we really want. <laughs> do we really want it? Let's go and have a look at it. Now, very often when we talk about revival, we, we talk about the people leading the revivals, the Evans, the, the, the um, Duncan Campbells and Lewis, and all sorts of other places, don't we? And we talk about the leaders of the revival, but I don't want to look at the leaders because we're not all leaders, are we? We're not all leaders. So I want to look at the ordinary people. What happened to the ordinary people in the church, which includes all of you? Nobody's out of this because it, we want to see what it's... So to get an idea of what revival is like, let's go into Acts chapter 2. Verse 41. Always best to go back to the Bible to find out what it says about what revival is like, what real revival is like. Now we can see in other places what happened with revivals, but, and we can get some ideas. But when we look here, we begin to see some things that happen when we have revival. And are we prepared to pay the cost to have that revival in our lives? So, 41 to 47, Acts 2. You're all very familiar with this passage. He's been... It's Peter has been speaking about repenting and preaching at the, after the day of Pentecost. And he said in verse 40, with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. And they that gladly received his word were baptised. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. 
And they continued, this is the description of the church, steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayer. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common. They sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all, as each man had need. And they continually, daily, with one accord, in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat or their food with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So that's a picture of revival. God reviving his people. Bringing life to his people. And there's a number of little things which I've written down here. And the first one we see, which, is, which you wouldn't think, but it's the first one he lists. And I think when the Holy Spirit puts a list in, he's always careful to make sure it's in the right order. So the first one is the Apostles' Doctrine. In verse... 42. So I don't seem to be able to see my Bible this morning. <laughs> they continued steadfastly. And this is where we have a big problem in churches. People do not continue steadfastly. Do they? They come one week, next week they're not here. Three weeks later they turn up again. You say, they, oh, they're going to come on and do this with us. They say, yeah, I'll be there. And they're not there. <laughs> Get people who come on a Sunday, you never see them for the rest of the week or the month. And they come another... They don't continue steadfastly. That's one of the things about when the, holy, when the revival's going, people continue steadfastly. That's part of it. Because that, that was the spirit of Christ. He set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem. He was steadfast in doing what his father said. He continued steadfastly. Isn't that wonderful? So that's one, one thing expect, that we expect to happen when there's revival. The next thing is, we have a continue in the apostles' doctrine and teaching. All right, now what was their doctrine and their teaching? Well, let's look in 2.38. He said, he says, we're still in Acts. And Peter said unto them, repent, be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Let's go in, over into 3.19. Repent, therefore, be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, and when the times of refreshment shall come from the presence of the Lord. All right? And he shall send Jesus, which has preached unto you. All right? In 4, verses 2 to 4. Being grieved, this is about the Pharisees, they, uh, uh, they were grieved that they taught the people, this was the teaching, and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Hallelujah. So this is what we preach. We preach the simplicity of the gospel. Now I can guarantee, if I went round this room and started talking about the sovereignty of God, um, the perseverance of saints, all sorts of different doctrines, I would find somebody who disagreed with me on what I pre preached. I can guarantee that. Everybody would feel the same. Because we all have our individual walk with him. But when it comes to the revival Everyone unites under the one banner of preaching Christ crucified. Preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. The real gospel, the way you need to, there needs to be repentance and changing of lives. Uh, an absolute change in people. That's the gospel. It hasn't just come to tickle our ears. It hasn't just come to meet our needs. It's come to change us. Give us completely new lives. 
There has to be repentance, change from the old life, a complete new life, dying to the old life, when being di died in Christ and raised in Christ. All these things are so fantastic about the gospel. But this is when the revival comes that they preach the apostles. Now, it wasn't the apostles' doctrine of Apostle Peter or Paul. It was the apostles' doctrine. It was the one doctrine they all preached. And many people in churches have their own ideas about everything, and now, especially with the internet, we have so many ideas coming in that we flood every, it just floods out the gospel. But it's really important that we have the apostles' doctrine, the simple gospel, that's able to save. For this is the power of God for salvation. Paul said, didn't he? It, Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. Because it was the gospel. The gospel, it says, is the power of God. It's the power of God for salvation. And if we just want to preach, get Jesus just loves you and that will do, that won't, that's not the power of God. The power of God is the gospel that God sent his son to die for us. That's the gospel. They need to know the gospel, that they need to be, have their lives completely changed, that they need to be completely born again and have a real experience of God. You know, mate, just a, it's just, that's what it needs. They were cut to the heart, remember? Remember you saw that? They were cut to the heart because God was speaking through Peter. And that was the, this, this gospel. All right, so that's where we have the gospel. And even Paul, when he, remember, he got saved and he came back later and said, I want to check with you lot whether I'm preaching the gospel. I'm preaching the same thing. He was so adamant to make sure that he got the right gospel. He wasn't preaching something wrong, something different than they who'd been with Jesus were preaching. So that's the first thing. So there's a, a, a laying aside of our own petty doctrines and petty little things we like to think about sometimes and focusing on the gospel and getting people saved. Second is fellowship. Now when we think about fellowship, we think about getting together. But they meant, they, if we look in verse 46 of uh, chapter 2, we find that they, they met daily. They continued daily. They were continuing together daily. Wow. That's what happens when the gospel comes. And there's fellowship. But the fellowship is not like the fellowship in the world where they just meet together and have a good time. That's not what it's about. Though we do have a good time with one another. Let's, let's read what it says in 1 John 1. One John 1 John 1:3. Hallelujah. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. This is the gospel, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So when they're continuing in fellowship, it's not just that they're having fellowship with one another, but they're having fellowship. It's a spiritual fellowship, a fellowship with the Father and with the Son. In the Son. Hallelujah. In Philippians 2, we find that we also have another fellowship. In Philippians 2.1, if there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, in any fellowship of the Spirit. So there's a fellowship in the Spirit as well. That's what, they had a fellowship in the Spirit. 
And also, they had, in, let's go over into Philippians 1.5, and it says they had fellowship in the gospel. Philippians 1.5, they had fellowship in the gospel. The fellowship wasn't just them meeting together and having a good time. The fellowship was in these things. It was in the Father, in the Son, in the Spirit, and in the Gospel. That's where we are. We're not about just having our social time. We're about meeting with God in fellowship with one another. And as we meet in fellowship with Him, we meet, we meet with God. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't that a wonderful thing? That's what revival is about. People meet God when they have fellowship with people who've got God in them. So we have fellowship with the Father, the Son, and with each other. Isn't it wonderful? Breaking of bread. That's in, we're back to Acts now. 2.46. And it said they break, they continually daily, with one accord, in the temple, breaking bread from house to house which is the same as in our bit, in breaking of bread and in prayer. Now the breaking of bread here is, is actually having food together. It's not breaking, the breaking of bread which we the communion. Though they would have communion together, this is breaking of bread together. You see, there's something about having food together. I was reading a bit about Abraham when he saw the, the, uh, the two people coming, the, the angels coming, and he called them in and to have a meal. And that's a very much a sign of fellowship and something happening together. Like Zacchaeus, when Jesus said, I'm going to come to tea. I'm going to come and have food with you. There's something about in that culture. And there's this culture of us eating together. And eating together. Being together. And I want you to see, there is this togetherness in this thing. All the time, there's a continualness together of one. You'll see that further as we go further on. And there's a food. And we, we can be reminded of, remember, the two people went to Emmaus, on the way from Emmaus, and Jesus walked with them. He came in, and they were known him in the breaking of bread. He broke the loaf, and they knew him. And I think there's something about coming together in fellowship over food, where God comes in and meets with us. Now, they were in a different situation to us, because this didn't continue. Um, because they'd all, at the beginning, you don't hear about it later on, being all together like you hear later, later on, where they're, they, they're having food together and they're selling everything. That was just for a time. Because a lot of these people, as we read later on, they'd left everything to follow Jesus. They were actually, Jesus was supported by rich women. And uh, it's wonderful that he'd, he... What happens is that they had this, they were away from ordinary life, do you see? And they were meeting together. So they didn't have any, they weren't working, a lot of these people. So, and, and eventually, once um, they, lived, they had people who were there who hadn't got any jobs, and especially if you were a priest, you'd probably get kicked out if you were a Levite, because many of them came to Christ, and they wouldn't have had a job, they wouldn't have any, anything. So there was this need of widows you see further on. But this didn't continue. We're not saying... But there is a, break, there is a time about coming, this, coming together to eat and fellowship together on this thing and break, of breaking of bread. 
and prayer. The other thing is, they had broke bread and they had, they had prayer. Now, we have prayer meetings sometimes, but not like they had prayer meetings. Let's go on to chapter 4, verse 24. 4.24. They, they, had, they were being harassed by the high priests. And they reported to them what the high priests had said. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. Here we have the same thing. One accord, you'll see that all the way through this. One accord and said, Lord, thou art God that has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in. And they, they lifted up their voices in prayer, didn't they? They prayed. And then it says the place was shaken. So they were praying a lot. They met together in prayer. In fact, they said, we mustn't be at tables. We need to have time to prayer and study of the book. We need to have prayer. So another thing about revival is prayer. Really is. When prayer is just part of the real part. Of, you go a lot of places, they don't have prayer meetings in churches anymore. You know when God's moving, when people start praying. Because he starts moving on people and they start praying. And that's when the revival comes. When God starts doing something like that. When people start praying. It's always prayer when there's revival. But prayer costs time, isn't it? It's time. <laughs> it's time in our lives that we need to spend time with him. And we have, have prayer. In Jude 20, he talks about praying in the spirit. That they pray for them in the spirit. There's a spiritual prayer, and I spoke about prayer on, at the prayer day, about this, what it means to pray in the name of Jesus. I can't go into that today. But these, so these are the, some of the attributes. There's lots of other things that happened. What happens in when, the, when, when the, the power of God is on the move and there's revival? They, they continue daily with one accord in the temple. Every day. Now, if you don't do that, you can't get people to come here once a week, let alone every day. <laughs> Many churches, I, I was shocked when I was young, we used, to have, we used to go, I used to go early to the church in the morning, help with the Sunday school, and I would help with the Sunday school, and I would, I would be there, and then I, there would be an afternoon something going on, and then I used to go in the evening, the meeting in the evening. In our town, Brentwood, there's, there's not one, apart from the Anglican church, there's not one service in an evening anymore. It, it just makes you think, well, what's going on? I want to meet with people. I want to have fellowship with people. Wow. Bit challenging, isn't it? <laughs> it means you can't want to watch, no, it doesn't, it's finished, Downton Abbey or whatever you watch, Ed Endeavour or what other programme you might be watching on telly. You might have to give those up. <laughs> when God moves, it's every day. When in, I've been, there's a book called uh, Sounds from Heaven, which talks about the Lewis revival and a lady who was there. And uh, she talks about uh, uh, sometimes uh, Duncan Campbell had eight meetings in a day. A day. <coughs> they, would go, they would go to bed at two in the morning and get up at six, go to work. They weren't tired. Because the power of God was moving. Now, I'm not saying that's normal, but that's, that's what, if that's what you want, <laughs> you 
If this is what you want, do you want that? That you could have to be here every day of the week? Because the power of God's on the move. Wow. They had that down at little river, you know, a move of God in Wales, didn't they? That was every night of the week. They couldn't cope with it after a while, then it all folded up. I'm not going to go into that, but that's it, you see? Do you really want revival? It's a challenge to me. How much am I prepared to pay for revival? This is what it looks like. But it's great joy. There's always great joy. It's not all down. I'm not saying it's a down thing. It's always absolute great joy and excitement and wonder at what God's doing when revival comes. Because God just moves. But there's a lot of people praying for revival, but I think if they really knew what revival was like, they might go home and say, well, I better think about this. <laughs> and this is what I've been thinking. Like, do I really want revival? Because it's going to turn my life upside down. <laughs> it turn my life upside down. <laughs> How do we get to that? What is it? How do we get to that place? How do we get to a place like they were in one accord? Let's, let, there's... You see, there's something that's happening in this church. I tell you, under the, behind the scenes, there's something happening. There is. There's prayer meetings going on where they weren't going on six months ago. The power of God is starting to move. People just keep coming in. People are getting saved, getting met by God. God is on the move. But there's always more. He talked about daily taking up the cross. Now, this is not a hard thing. It might be hard for us if we don't want to, but it's not a hard thing. And I'm going to show you how this works, you see. We can read what they were like. Let's have a look and see what they were like in one. We're, still, we're just going to be in Acts again, in chapter 1, verse 4. Being assembled together with them. They were together, again. they were together in verse 14. They continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women Mary and the mother of Jesus and his brethren. In 2 chapter 1, when the day of Pentecost was come, they were all with one accord in one place. In 2.46, in in we've already read that. They continued daily with one accord. Can you see this one accord, this Holy Ghost moving? One accord. They were going where the Holy Ghost was going. They weren't going where they wanted to go. Now, we've had lots of people come into church who think, oh, this is the way we should go, we ought to go. They come along, and they, I remember somebody came along, but it only been about two weeks, they come with a long sheet of paper, full scap, two or three full scaps, telling us how we should do the worship. <laughs> but people come with their own ideas. And you have to lay your ideas down. Because when God moves in revival, it's always different. It's the same, but it's different. Always different, because God is different. He's always new, never the same in some ways. He's always got something new to bring out. He never changes, but his ways always change, the way he works with us. So how do we get from where we are into a place where everybody in the church is of one accord, they're all full with the Holy Ghost, they all want to go with God on 100%. How do we get there? <laughs> how do we get there? Well... Let's go back to Matthew 28, verse 7. This is a very unusual verse of Eta. Right. So at, at, at the, end, at the beginning of the week, 
Mary came to the sepulchre and there was an angel there. And what did the angel said? The angel said to them, this is on the, on the resurrection morning, fear not, you know that you seek Jesus, which is crucified. He's not here, for he's risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly, quickly, and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he goes before you into Galilee. There shall you see him, lo, I have told you. So what's Jesus, that the angel said? Jesus, quickly, he said, go quickly and tell them, go to Galilee, there I'll meet with them. That's where we're like sometimes. Let's look over to John 20 and see what happened. John 20, verse 19. This is the same day, later on. That was in the morning, it was at dawn. And he said, go quickly, the angel said. Do you remember? It was at dawn, so at six o'clock in the morning. They don't have the clocks changing there. The same day in the evening. So this is the end of the day. Being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus unto and stood in the midst and said, peace be unto you. Hallelujah. And he showed them his hands and his feet and sighed, and they were glad when they saw the Lord. Now, hang on. Jesus had said, by the angel, go and meet me, meet Jesus in Galilee. But where were they? They were stuck in, the, in a room with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. <laughs> Do you sometimes feel like that? That you're locked up for fear of what's going to happen? That's the situation they were in there. They didn't go to Galilee because they were too frightened because they feared the Jews. But what happened then? What did Jesus do? And this is the most significant thing that Jesus did to them. Let's go on. He said, peace be unto you, in verse 21, as the Father sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and he said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. And the word actually, in the Greek, I looked it up, it says, he breathed in them. It's the same breathing in as when he breathed in to Adam. The Spirit of God breathed into Adam. What is it saying, Corinthians? Adam, the first Adam, was a living soul. The second Adam was a what? A quickening spirit. So what Jesus had done, he breathed into them to make them quicken them alive, make them alive. Because they were dead, they were fearful. They weren't born again. But when he breathed into them, he breathed into something into them. He breathed his own life into them. Hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful? So they couldn't go. Like we can't go sometimes. What we need is a breathing in of God. We need a breathing in of God. You see, I know that it says, Jesus said, all may come to me. I won't cast anybody out. That's a very broad statement. But he made another more important statement. He said, if you want to see the kingdom of God, if you want to enter into the kingdom of God, you must, must, must be 
born again. So the first clue about getting into any of this and revival is you have to be born again. It's not a case of you making a little decision, but you have to be born again. You have to know that God has come into your life and has changed everything. He breathed into them. He breathed into them. He breathed life into them. It's a wonderful picture. And what happened then? In the same, it's in the same thing, same, isn't it? In Luke 24, we have the same place. We're in the same time. In Luke 24, 45. Because he, he showed them his hands and feet in verse 29. He said, it's me. And he said, in verse 45, and he opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. This is the same time. So he, when he breathed into them, it opened their understanding to the scriptures. Wow. They got born again. They got born again. <laughs> Hallelujah. You can never get there where I'm talking about unless God comes and does something. Because what people do is they say they want revival and they say, well, they, oh, they prayed. We'll get them pray. They want, oh, we'll get uh, together in one accord. We'll try and, try and get people to think the same thing. Or we, we do all these things to try and get God to move in revival. The first thing we must have is people born from heaven. has to be. If you're not born from heaven, you can't know God. You can't see the kingdom. You can't enter the kingdom. You must be born again. You must have this breathing in of the life of God. And you must know it's happened. Because it changed them. Because then they went off to Galilee, eventually. They went off to Galilee and met Jesus there. Remember, they went up to the Sea of Tiberias and they went off fishing. Yeah? This is what happens when God comes and changes your life. But there's something more. Because even at that point, Peter was still himself a bit and he said, oh, I'm fed up about this, I'm going to go fishing. <laughs> and Jesus met him, didn't he, on, the, on that seashore and, and, and challenged him about, his, about him, him loving him. I can't go into that today. But something changed, you see. They did what Jesus said because they'd been born from heaven. So it always starts with him. We can't get there. These people were this because of what had happened to them. And then further on, of course, They saw the Lord in Acts 1-3. Acts 1-3. This is what happened before he, he went up into heaven. He showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So there has to have a place Revival comes out of our fellowship and knowing and meeting Jesus. You remember what they said about their disciples? They took note that they'd been with Jesus. We have to have a relationship with Jesus because that's where revival comes from. Don't come out anywhere else. It comes by the power of the Holy Ghost out of our relationship with him. Hallelujah. It's but it starts with him. He breathed into them. It wasn't them. They were all in fear. So we can have confidence that God can breathe into our lives and change us. But there's another breath. There was something else that happened, wasn't there? We all know about this. They were filled with the Holy Ghost in chapter 2, verse 4. 
Well, we can read at the beginning, shall we? Chapter 2. When the city of day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing, rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues of fire and sat upon each, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost to be able to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So this is what happens when God meets us. This is what we want, to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And there's two requisites for being filled with the Holy Ghost. Apart from being born again, you've got to be born again. You've got to be hungry. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. Come ye buy and eat. Come buy without money. Come buy without price. There's a hunger for people. Now, I know there's a people hungry here for God. And the other one is, you need to ask. You need to ask and to drink. You need to ask and drink. You see, every one of us needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit quite a lot. Let's go into verse 4 and chapter 8. Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said to them, Peter filled with the Holy Ghost. In chapter 6, verse 5. And it's talking about Stephen. He said they had to pick people who were full of the Holy Ghost. A man full of faith and the Holy Ghost and all the others. So these people were full of the Holy Ghost. 755. When Stephen was talking and he said, being full of the Holy Ghost, he looked steadfastly into heaven. This fullness of the Holy Ghost is the place of revival for every one of us in this room today. It's the fullness of the Holy Ghost. But, remember the little story of the tower. There comes a point when Peter had to get rid of his I'm doing it my way attitude. Gets him, got him into trouble. Said whatever came into his mind. He was a, a, a loose cannon. But God got hold of him, didn't he? And changed his life completely. Paul, who was so religious and so thought he was so good as far as he was, but God had to get behind that, get behind his pride and take it down. He had to get hold of Thomas and get rid of his unbelief. And if we all have things in our lives where we have to say, these have to go so that he can come and fill us. We have daily, we have to take up our cross so that we can be filled with the Holy Ghost. These people were full of the Holy Ghost. They were walking in revival. Do you want revival? Are you prepared to say, well, I'm gonna, whatever God shows me in my life that I've got to put down, I'll put it down. So that the power of God can move in our lives. Isn't it wonderful when that happens? You see, if we look in, and this is what happens when this happens. Look, let's look in, in, um, in Acts 4. When they started praying. And this is what happens. You see, we try and get there, but when we get full of the Holy Ghost, he gets us there. He really does. He really does. 
If we get full of the Holy Ghost, he gets us there. Look, let's read, let's read. In verse 31 of chapter 4, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken to where they assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. They weren't fearful anymore. They weren't hiding. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart, one soul. Neither said anything that, that, that was theirs was theirs. And they had everything in common. And they gave great power to the, to the re resurrection of Jesus Christ. And great grace was upon them. Hallelujah. Great grace was upon us. If we are prepared just to let go of the stuff and lay it down, all the stuff in our lives, all the things we have in our lives, the self-pity, the poor old me's, that I can do it. All the stuff, I don't know what you've got in your life. <laughs> There's always something, isn't there, that God comes along and he puts his little finger on that. But the only reason he's doing it is to make room for himself. And the power of God can come in and change you. Because God is on the move in this church. I tell you he's on the move. There's something going on. And if you want to be part of it, you want to get, find what, what, get filled with this Holy Ghost. Get filled with the power of God. Because it's the only thing that changes them. That's what changed them. They weren't any more hiding behind Jesus. Were they? They were out there preaching the gospel. Challenging. No more was Peter frightened of a girl. Was he? He was, wasn't he? He was frightened of a little girl. But he changed. Stood in front of the Pharisees and was absolute steadfast. If you get this Holy Ghost into you, you'll be, you'll be like these. You'll be continually steadfast. You'll be full of prayer. You'll be in fellowship. Wonderful. Breaking your bread with God. This is what we want. Everyone. This is my desire for everyone in this church that we go with God. That we go with God. All right, there is always a price to pay. It's all free. But it costs, it costs us lay down our life. But one thing that's really wonderful, because those things really, when we hold anything before us, before him, and we find it very difficult to get rid of, really that's a sin, because he, he, we belong to him, don't we? He says, you're not your own, you belong to him. So if you're holding anything back, really that's a sin, isn't it? But it says sin will not have dominion over you. It doesn't have dominion over us. We don't have to, that, those things which hold us back from God do not have to have dominion over us. Because we're in Christ. He's done a work in our life. Isn't it wonderful? That we can enter into all of this. We can have revival in our own lives. Revival starts in here. And there's always a people who God moves on and causes them to pray and causes them to, have, to do these things. Just as he did here. It was all him. They had to do what they were told, but it was all him. Isn't it wonderful? You can all enter in to this revival that God's got on his, in his plan. God's got a plan to bring us all into a place of revival. Now, it might not be in big ministry. That's not what I'm talking about. That's why I said, this is all that you see. This is what the people were like, not just the apostles. The apostles had one... I'm not asking you to have a miracle ministry. I'm not asking you to have a wonderful preaching ministry. God wants us, as a whole group, to be united by this power of the Holy Ghost. Because it says the Holy Ghost makes us one. That's what it says. The Holy Ghost, when he comes, the Spirit makes us one. 
You read it in his prayer. The Spirit makes us one. That's why. Because he, we become part of him. We function under him. We function under that anointing of God. Wow, isn't it wonderful? Hallelujah. We need to open our hearts this morning and say, we want more of you and we're prepared to lay anything down that hinders the work of the Holy Spirit. Because he wants to work in our lives and change us, so change us that we'll be completely different. Many people in churches like Peter because they read about him in the Gospels and how he failed and I think they feel happy about that. But they don't look at Peter when he got after he got filled with the Holy Ghost and, you know, and read his epistle. And it's wonderful. Wonderful revelations from God. Wonderful. No, we, we, don't, we do fail. But there's a God who comes alongside us because power of his, it's all done by the power of the Holy Ghost. Isn't it? It's all done by the power of the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Lord, that you just want us to have more of your anointing. There's more of his anointing available for everybody in this room. Hallelujah. He's a person. And it said about Jesus, the anointing was on him without measure. Why? Because he laid his life down before he even got to the cross. Hallelujah. He was completely open to the moving of his Holy Spirit. Today, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will come and fill people. You can be filled this morning. All it says is if you ask, you can be filled. You just have to ask. You don't need even anybody to pray for you. You ask, and he'll fill you. He said, ask. He said he won't give you anything but the Holy Spirit because he's a good father. Just ask. Ask him this morning. Ask him in the quietness of your heart for him to come and change you, fill you with his glory. Father, we just want to be filled with your glory this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And today also, if you haven't known, really had a born-again experience, then you need to know Jesus in a real born-again way. You need to know him breathed into your life. You can't get there on your own. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your word this morning. That you want to do great things amongst us. You want to revive your church. You want to revive us individually. So there's revival in the, in the house. Thank you, Lord.